We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much. So many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Ave Everybody, Steve Sunsfidelli. I'm coming at you once again with Aaron Sang of Tradivox. Now, I think we did this back in May or June. It's it's been a while. Look to way too long. But they got volume two and volume three out. It looks like they get it in the light. Nice, beautiful cover that shines in the lights if you move it. And it's and this has got Bellerman, Tuberville, and Sadler in it. And we'll talk about that in the volume three. But Aaron, welcome. Uh, welcome back. Congratulations on everything. How are you? Very well, Steve. Thanks for having me again. It's good to be back. I'm glad glad to have you back. Glad And, and Aaron reached out to me because I've been just out of my mind doing other things. And, <laughs> uh, not that I've forgotten about it because I have it at my office. I got volume one sitting there right there the whole time. And uh, he sent me volume two last week and <laughs> it looks good. Um, so what made you put these three in you got Bellman, which there's a big version and a small version uh tuberville which seems like that should be read by every human that's catholic well <laughs> that has a pulse today and sadler in us what what why these three what was the historical backgrounds of these three sure oh you're getting in deep they they have a common a common uh, thread of being 16th century works into 17th century works we're we're trying to group each volume in the series uh with some some uniting thread between the each each of those that's included in the volume because uh a lot of the catechisms back when were a, a little briefer maybe than things uh in more recent years and so we can we can fit more than one oftentimes uh into a single volume so the the 20 volume series the, of of the catechisms here that the tradivox kind of series in the hardbacks is it will end up comprising more than 30 different catechisms uh, but then we're kind of boxing you know each volume will have typically more than one there'll be some that'll be single volumes um, but this one volume two has got the three they're all uh early to, to mid 1600s and um bellerman just you've got to you've got to love bellerman so we did we did his uh the, the short catechism is it's often called uh but the one with the the plates in it, so it's it's the highly uh, engraved edition. We can pull. Oh yeah, see, there's a few. So lots of lots of pictures for those of us who like pictures. Uh, cool photos I, too. I, yeah, and this is this is woodcuts uh, really at the height of their popularity. So there's some really neat detail. Actually, there's one. I got a. I got a. I got my copy here too. I got to flip to one because this one just just I had to chuckle. So. So, Steve, you and I were talking about this volume when they were first going to run it to print, and it just happened to be right about the same time that uh, a, a kind of a new practice was being discovered about um, sacraments in times of pandemic, as <laughs> I recall. And uh, I'm going to find a page here because there was something rather remarkable. Oh, here we go. So in the uh, in Bellarmine here, talking about the corporal works of mercy, one of which was the, to visit the sick. Uh -huh. So, I mean, those of you watching can see this, but I'll kind of describe. So in the, in the image of visiting the sick, you've got, of course, the, the fellow who's very ill and he's in bed and he's being tended uh, by, by uh, everyone there. Kind of, you've got bottles of ointment and somebody's getting some, some supplies off the shelf. And then in the background, there's a window that, see, that looks out into the street and out in the street, there's this dark and ominous cloud kind of wafting overhead, under which is a, people in procession with a canopy. And in the midst of the canopy, of course, is what looks like very much like a cardinal holding a monstrance 
in the in the course of procession. And this is, of course, in reference to the plague that was decimating the population just a few years before this work was originally published, 1614. So you had one wiping out. We're, we're talking actual bodies in the street, not uh, you know a seasonal cold and whatnot. Yes, yes, um, yes. And, people literally and dying in front of people. Yes, actually dying and walking over other people who are dying. Yeah, yeah. So that they can be in the procession. I mean, so I just I thought that was so uh, fortuitous the timing for this one when I, when I first ran the print. Is here you've got how how the church used to conceive of uh, tending the sick in time of plague was not hiding from them or, or locking them in their own rooms or waiting for permission from uh, the head of staff to, to come and see them, but rather you have priests doing what they perceive to be their job, yeah, yeah. You know, out in the street with our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, uh, praying for the aversion of the plague itself. So, so that's a, a rather powerful image. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, uh, I can't remember who did the write-up, it was when the Italian historian about Saint Pope Saint Gregory the Great's procession, and he mentions people during the procession were literally dying in the procession. Yes. And what uh, what stands out for, you know, with all of these images is uh, the how, how much they're able to fit. So this was, of course, the practice in uh, Middle Ages, and then into this time as well. As you'd have several layers of meaning, of course, in one image. And a lot of times with woodcuts, they would do it as like an inset or something happening in the background that is that is something uh, a different event. So like a lot of these will have um, typography in them. So you've got so here we are in Lent. You've got the image on uh, the precept of the church for Lent, where in the foreground you've got uh, some people at a fish market. So here's the fellow. Uh, handing a very large, uh, tasty-looking fish. And then out the window in the back, again, similar to that earlier one, is our Lord uh, in the temptation in the desert. So the, the devil appearing to him there. So you, you've got these kind of uh, scriptural overlays in a lot of the images. So these, like with, with our kids, we've loved uh, because they can really put the pieces together. You know, they look at the picture, uh, even though the, the caption is like one sentence long, you can really pull. You can you can draw a lot out of that. Yeah, images. no kidding. It's almost, it's an icon of that isn't. A, it's just out of wood. Yes, I mean it's it's hard to believe, but these these would have all been wood wood cuts, and then uh, you know they ink over the surface, and then a stamp onto the page. So we've we've tried to kind of re kind of clean them up because of course the old the originals are in very poor shape. So we we clean them up from the best scan. Uh, that we can manage, and then we archive it, and then we retypeset all of the text such that you, know, you can we can get a it's, a it's a considerably easier read, and then followed by having the original images. So now this one, and this one is pretty short, comparatively speaking. Uh, do we know why? Is short the Bellarmine's short? This this version, yeah, not the yes. he's got a longer one and a shorter one. Yes, and, and a few of, of both. So the the thing with Bellarmine is that he the, the short one, even just to take to take one example, this the short catechism it went into over five hundred editions in, in in several languages. I mean, Bellarmine's all of his catechisms, like uh, like his his uh, quick predecessor there to the catechism uh, printing was was Peter Canisius, and uh, both of their works were. I mean, over the moon bestsellers. We don't really have a comparison. Maybe, maybe the Oprah reading list might be something <laughs> like a comparison by today's standards because these were they they just sold like hotcakes and they they did um, just about any publisher that could would do their own kind of edition. They would take the text and then either add you know in this case really large embellished imagery to kind of help explain, um, or they'd have different title pieces. And then Bellerman himself, of course, he he's he's tasked with this impossible <laughs> uh, work of hey, we we want just kind of a concise compendium of you know all the church's teaching. Well, can you just can you just get that for us? You know, and so his his approach is to do uh, similar with Canisius is to do several different uh, levels of of uh, thoroughness, let's say. So 
So there's the short, which is kind of as distilled as he could he could manage it. This is really very appropriate for uh, lay people, of course, and even for children. And that was that was why you'd have a lot of publishers doing heavy illustrations with that, uh, which is this one that we've recovered. The longer one is you know greater detail. It's it's a little more in depth. It has a lot more um, annotation, so it's a lot more drawing on scripture, uh, kind of showing some of the original texts that are, are being drawn upon in the church's teaching. Uh, but the imagery for this one sets it off as one of the first what are called eye catechisms, which is kind of its own becomes a subgenre in catechisms, uh, which are heavily image-based for those who are, are still you know, illiterate, may not have that same uh, uh, capacity for you know, reading and, and understanding at a great level. So it's natural for children as well as adults. And then um, you've got this ability to get into the content of the faith through these images that are highly instructive, not unlike stained glass at the time or the baptismal fonts or the carvings and the altarpieces you know these kind of things so. yeah it's not it's not a pop-up but it's it's really right. really good how would you say intriguing gets you even once you to reread what you just read after you see the photo and you scan the photo i caught myself looking at the photos longer than reading it because like yeah, you said you're right. trying to find all the other stuff that's in it like Oh, this where's Waldo type deal almost, and not saying, yes. Oh, yes. look at that. Yes, the where's Waldo is appropriate. We, in fact, we had one that was really we're working hard to find. There's a section on the deadly sins, and uh, they were working hard to figure out why wrath, the, the image of of wrath, is this woman, and she's she's in armor and she's got this sword. And she she looks very upset, and uh, they're trying to figure out like who who is that. You know, is this some kind of historical female fighter figure, and, and what's going on with that? And then, and then gradually realize the other deadly sins are also women. Uh, and then, oh, it's because the actual classical collection of both the sins and the virtues were often referred to as the daughters. Mm -hmm. So you have the, the daughters of of pride, the daughters of of wrath. And so, yeah, we're uh, gonna so get some comments. Y'all hate women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Some of them you can't hardly tell, so I don't know if that's a consolation. <laughs> so but they, yeah. Tupperville, Tuberville. I, I look at Tupperville as the old coach from uh, Auburn, uh, but that's is that how you pronounce it? It's just like Coach Tupperville. Turber, yeah, a little little bit of an R in there. Turber, Tuberville. He has this. I think that takes up most of Volume Two. Um, man, this, that's something that should be almost like printed. Uh, today we were talking off air going man this that thing is amazing it's the abridgment of christian doctrine he does not hold any punches back no he does not this is this is famously known as the Douay uh, catechism it's it's probably it's more common moniker this is mid mid 1600s and uh there it is yeah so 1649 is the earliest uh, the printing of this one, and it's from the English College, so a, a little setback of uh, a lot of people are familiar with the Dewey Rhymes Bible, or, or the Doe, or the Doe Reams, or you know, there's several pronunciations acceptable, <laughs> yes, the DRB, the Dewey Rhymes Bible, and the Dewey part of that uh, comes from the location of the college uh, at Dewey, northern France, and this is where a lot of the English priests are formed. Uh, throughout the kind of Protestant ascendancy period. So they begin to kind of flee abroad. Uh, they're formed then at Douay. Uh, a lot of them swear the oath to return into England as missionary priests uh, for that reason. So you've got this seminary that is just cranking out missionary priests with the express intention of sending them back into England, uh, at the, especially during the time when they thought that it was, it, it was now uh, no longer a matter of time before England regained her sanity. I mean, the, the, the first thought was, this is a, this is a temporary thing. Uh, when you got Queen Mary in, there was some reprieve, and so, so folks were cautiously optimistic. And then Elizabeth comes to the throne, and, and people begin to kind of think, no, you know, we might be, we might be facing a long, dark period here. So, so Douay is very uh, focused on forming priests for the English mission. And the Douay Catechism then kind of gets its name for that. This is the first major catechism uh, penned in English from the college, and it, it becomes one of the most sought-after contraband items of the, of the century. 
pretty pretty short order. So they're publishing it in secret, uh, publishing it abroad and smuggling it in, uh, all of these things. So this particular one is uh, from an Irish printing uh, later on that, uh, that we, we remastered. Because Ireland, of course, they, they've got a lot less in the way of just infrastructure at that time. But they're suffering similar, you know, Protestant crackdown on the uh, the free exercise of, of the Catholic religion at the time. So they would they would just get any English catechisms, you know, they would just grab them and they they'd print them themselves, or or they'd have you know one of their bishops give his approbation for it, and then they'd publish it there. And the Dewey Catechism is one of those that just it makes the rounds. It is it is clear. It is hard hitting. It is uh, we we just we should find. So we were talking about some of this. Could you imagine intellectual high. property rules back then? <laughs> oh, it's it's actually this is one of my favorite feedback points when when we were excuse me we were first running the Tradavox series and uh, and and somebody read I think it was maybe volume one and volume two and they uh, and so you've got a span of you know a little over a century between those two uh, collections of, of catechisms and and somebody observed you know. Wait a minute. I, yeah, I read this this later one, and uh, or no, that's what it was. They I think they looked up the Pius X Catechism, you know, which is four centuries after the fact. And I look up this Pius X Catechism, you know, they they just kind of copy paste from earlier catechisms. It's it's almost like he's just he's just copying what was taught before. And then we kind of like this pause, you know. <laughs> You don't say. It's, 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 it's almost like the faith doesn't change for me. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, right. But, uh, well, it's I like when someone people. comes up and asks, we need to write a new book about what? We got everything right here. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and that, I mean, that's that's part of the appeal for that, that folks have, have been seeing from the series, of course, the hardback, but especially for the app. I mean, we're looking at that when in an instant you can just – you can just take any doctrine and then see every catechism for the last millennium. You know, what, what has it said on that? And the, the, the continuity is just, it's staggering. I mean, and we had, um, so Bishop Schneider, you know, His Excellency is, is kind of point man for our project. He's an Episcopal advisor for the work. And he was pointing out, so in his diocese, he's, it's predominantly Muslim. I mean, it's, it's like 70% Muslim it was in that diocese. And, uh, and that was one of the things he was pointing out was the appeal of the continuity in the catechisms for non-Catholics is to say, you know, of course, anybody can go. We can go read the fathers. Just go read the fathers and, and you'll see, you know, this is what we've always talked. Uh, it's a little a little tougher to wade into that, you know, whereas any catechism is designed to be kind of a distillation, you know, simplest possible form, as it were, of all of that content. So it's it's like a search engine, you know, in its time. And so when I can stack up every one of those next to each other and just see in these little sound biteable nuggets, here's, here's uh, the Eucharist in a catechism from uh, 1200s in Italy. Here's the Eucharist in uh, Sub-Saharan Africa or, or East India, you know, post-industrial. Here it is in suburban America, 1950. You know, you can just see that at a glance. That's, that's, there's a lot of appeal to that. And the Douay, this, this one in volume two is, one of the more outstanding of the batch. It's, uh, and you can find there's uh, many, many have done reprints of the Douay over the years, just a, as a standalone. Um, this is the first attempt to uh, draw it into conversation with the other catechisms. Um, but I love this one. This is one of my favorites, which is why I, I, I shamelessly uh, moved to have it in one of the earlier volumes. Is that, let, me, let me give it. Here's a, here's a good example. Am I allowed to read? Can I, I was waiting some? for you to do it. I wasn't going to. Okay, here we go. Do it. <laughs> okay. So the here's here's something to to ruffle some politically correct favor, feathers. This is before there was political correctness. Okay. So question one forty one, talking about in the section of faith and unity of the church. So question one forty one, why may not a well-meaning person be saved in any religion? Right. So the there's just the immediate assumption. Right? Why may not a well-meaning person be saved in any religion? The answer, because there is but one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and without that one faith, it is impossible to please God. Yeah. Then the, the follow-up. <laughs> what, what other reason might you have for this? Answer, because the church is the body of Christ for which he died, which he hath united to himself, 
and which he enlivens, directs, and sanctifies by his own spirit. And now just as Christ is the Savior of his own body only, and as the members of this body alone are united to him, and alone are governed, directed, and enriched by the graces of his spirit, so no person can be saved who does not belong to it. Or in other words, out of the church there is no salvation. Or as St. Cyprian expressed it, he cannot have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. And then the, the uh, just to make it as clear as possible. So that, again, do a, this is at the time when, I mean, you, you would go to the gallows for saying these things in public. Okay, so number 143, who then are those who are not to be accounted as members of the church? And the answer, all such as are not in unity of the church by a most firm belief of her doctrine and due obedience to her pastors, such as Jews, Turks, heretics, etc. Right. So at, at the time when just everybody knew the, the answers. Yeah, you knew the line. Like this. Yeah, it's like, yeah, etc. So on and so on. Was, uh, was it Anne Lynn that right before she was going to be killed, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on if it was Anne, that uh, I think the queen wanted to say a prayer for her and she says, I will not say amen to your prayer. You will not say amen to mine. That's right. That's right. <laughs> And, and you'd often have the, the Latin response, you know. Sure, I'd be happy to oblige you, Pater Nostra Grius and Chase. <laughs> I mean, that, that, was, that was often the hallmark, which is, which is also kind of fascinating to think of in our own times. It's like when, when the faith meant everything and you were prepared to die for it, what, what was often the way in which Catholics asserted that? Uh, even, lay, even, even those poor, ignorant peasants uh, up, up there on the gallows, uh, they would do it by reciting a prayer in Latin. Mm -hmm. yeah, specifically to show themselves as distinct uh, faithful and obedient catholic yes yeah. yes no but that's a uh, there's yeah there's, so I, I, I gotta get this follow-up this whole section is great of course in the duet but this one that immediately follows that why may not heretics or schismatics justly claim to be in the unity of the church and be members of christ's body boy does that sound like things mm -hmm. we've heard recently but, but here's the question. Why may not heretics and schismatics justly claim to be in the unity of the church or members of Christ's body? The answer, because Catholics can show to each sect of heretics and schismatics the time that they began, the date of their separation from the church, the name of the person or persons of their sect who first separated themselves, and the cause of their condemnation, whilst the Catholic church always was from the beginning. This was just par for the course for the Douay priests, first of all, being able to equip uh, Catholics at the time to say, how, how are you going to respond when uh, you're, you're asked this, you know, not even necessarily in the court of law, but just by those who are prepared to defect from the faith, because suddenly it's a, it's a, it's a little more um, lucrative, if nothing else, to be an, an Anglican, what was later regarded as being yeah. Almost like, why bother? Why, why does it matter? Why stay in this if it's anybody can get in? That's right. And was this one of those that you mentioned that it was contraband? Would you get killed if you just got caught with this in your hands? A lot of it depended on where you were. So, of course, enforcement was always the, 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 toughest, the toughest nut to crack for, uh, for the Queen Elizabeth and, and those that followed was... How, how rigidly to apply the laws. But, but yes, there were several laws in place. And for, for uh, quite a while, I mean, we were talking, I can't remember who this was, not long ago, talking to him about uh, the fact that you didn't have really total kind of Catholic emancipation until the 1800s in, in England. Um, and, and even then, much like in the early United States, there was strong anti-Catholic uh, kind of soft persecution, you might call, uh, even at the level of, of publication or uh, belonging to public office or you know, these kind of things. Uh, for the same reason that, you know, when Kennedy was, was first on the ticket, there was this mass kind of fear of, oh, no, you know, maybe the Pope will take over the country because <laughs> Catholics don't answer to anybody but the Pope. And then uh, if he's the president, you know, what will happen? Well, that, that was just a vestige of a very old, uh, kind of uh, propaganda campaign, really dating to more than more than anywhere else, dating to England, the, the severance in England. 
because that was really the crux of the issue, uh, first of all, you know, when, when Henry kind of first goes into schism. But that just becomes the, the pat line after the fact was that Catholicism is, it becomes equated with sedition. It's, it's not, they, they tried very hard to make it look like this was not a, a, a strictly a religious persecution per se. It was just because you know, we have this, uh, this intent to uh, secure the stability of the realm. And, and so um, you, you have these very unfortunate kind of religious uh, beliefs that just automatically de facto render you a, a seditious <laughs> uh, seditious papist, you know. So, yeah, there's a just a couple other uh, cool headlines. Uh, one, uh, one, uh, one seventy one. Can the church err in faith, standing in this rule, admitting nothing for faith, but what is admitted to the old church to not have been received? Uh, did not one seventy six denied Saint Austin and Innocentus with their councils hold that communion of children a thing necessary for their salvation? At least do not heretics say and ever that the church has apostatized and erred in faith. And then how do you prove that? So he, he hits everything, including uh, kind of like the Catechism Explained when he goes into the commandments and breaks each commandment down on multiple pages. Yes, and I think the, that section you mentioned specifically can be very consoling for, uh, for Catholics, especially in this time. Um, and particularly with the idea of, I mean, so, so Bishop Schneider and, and others have been pointing out for, for a while you know, that we have this kind of crisis of faith, that it's affecting even the hierarchy and maybe even a large portion of the hierarchy. Nah, it's a springtime uh, out there. Yeah, Come on. <laughs> hey, now, you give them a right. It is. It's, uh, and, and I think the... The maybe maybe not the majority, but there there are many Catholics who maybe didn't weren't aware of that. We'll just put that that way. They weren't, they weren't aware of that until more recently. I think um, I think just in the last year has been very helpful for that. Uh, just with regard to how, like we said earlier, the sacramental praxis in the midst of a time of pandemic. Okay, what really are our priorities here? This is a thing un, unknown in the history of the church, and what really are the priorities? So there a lot of folks that are, are starting to kind of dig in a little bit. But I, I've, I frequently um, uh, will have conversations, whether through Chattavox or, or even at our parish here, um, where the, the idea that you could have error and even very grave error <clears throat> taking place at even the highest levels of the hierarchy is very, and it should be, is very disconcerting, of course, to, to Catholics. Um, but there's kind of this immediate fear of, well, if I, if I even admit that that can happen, what does that mean about the church with regard to the church's indefectibility? Uh, and so this, that do a, just that section you pointed out, that's uh, kind of the 170s, those questions. It gets into that very well because it's not far, it's not far removed from the, the, the first kind of Protestant proposition to, mm -hmm. to Catholics was that, look, way back then somewhere, something went really screwy. And we're just we're just getting back to that kind of that purity of doctrine and and these things and and so uh, so you can kind of leave aside all of these uh, constructed kind of human traditions and whatnot and so the yes Turberville makes he pulls no punches about that he, he drills right into that question of can, is it is it what do we mean by the indefectibility of the church what do we mean by even the Pope's role in that what do we mean by uh, that actually there's one I love that's a uh, the 173 because this is this is a this is so good so the, the question may not couldn't some errors have been received as faith and then crept insensibly over the whole church with no man perceiving or taking notice of them i mean this is not unlike the state of Kansas position uh -huh. in a lot of ways uh and the answer is no that's as impossible as the plague or a burning fever infecting or spreading itself over a whole kingdom for many years with no man perceiving it or seeking to prevent it for nothing can cause greater notice to be taken than a public or notorious change in matters of religion. So I mean, he, he, he goes into a lot of those same kind of uh, controverted points that are becoming just standard uh, fodder for, for a conversation with uh, Protestant divines uh, and, and inquisitors and such. So, <laughs> so it is. Dewey is, is great for that. Same with the commandments, like you said. Getting into a careful analysis of the commandments. Uh, well, gosh, although 
you know, reader beware. I mean, some of these, when you read into, like actually, I was we did a, a radio spot not long ago, and, and somebody had asked about, well, have there been any? Uh, we, we were talking about the consistency of the catechisms, you know, over space and time, and how remarkable that is, and kind of an, an instance of the extraordinary, no, the ordinary universal magisterium, mm. and uh, and so he was kind of asking the question of, well, have there been any rather remarkable uh, changes that you can you can kind of point to, like? 180s from one catechism to the next over the last millennium and uh and we're saying well would you include the last 50 years in that <laughs> assessment because if so yes you know and and, and then the first of course follow-up was well what's a good example and we, we just happen to be talking about the the moral section you know so which usually the old the old uh, catechisms would do their morality section in the section on the commandments mm -hmm. And um, I said, well, we can just look at number one. You know, let's look at the let's look at the first commandment. And uh, so here in Douay is, is a great example. Talking about the first commandment expounded, talking about 376, number 376. How do men sin against this first commandment? By worshiping idols and false gods, by erring or doubting in faith, by superstition and witchcraft. And how else? 377. By sharing or communicating, so usually the term then, by communicating in religious worship with infidels or heretics. That is to say, by joining in Christian but not Catholic uh, worship. Mm -hmm. okay. This is probably the biggest kind of brain buster for folks in, in the last half century, is realizing the, the unanimous testimony of every catechism prior to 1960. Uh, in any country, by any bishop at any time, saying it is a grave sin against the first commandment, that is to say one of the gravest sins that can be committed, to uh, actively participate in non-Catholic worship, full stop. Mm -hmm. And whereas I can crack, I, I pulled a stack of some just in case you wanted to wade into that, but maybe we could leave that for another time. You can pull any catechism uh, really over the last 50 years and find the exact opposite, the exact opposite asserted in the catechism. That's very strange. So yeah. that, that should be a that should be a kind of blink blink moment, you know. Yeah, I've seen Catholic celebrities. Uh, this was years ago. Talk about you know post on social media. Yeah, how great is the Catholic faith? Catholic Catholic the Catholic. All of a sudden, they got a photo at Joel Osteen's place, and they're all jacked about being there and hugging their friends. Hey, with my friends at Osteen's, whatever. I went. Uh, you do know that's uh, <laughs> strike one. <laughs> so, yes, sitting is the first. <laughs> yes, it's 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 very odd. I, I think, um, and it couldn't be. It, it really couldn't be clearer. I mean, sometimes you'll get an attempt to kind of explain away almost this this uh, usually under the the magic wand of development of doctrine. You know, <laughs> well, there's been a development. There's been a lot of those recently. Seems like. Um, <laughs> But, but yeah, how, how you get from, you press the point on how do you get from something being intrinsically evil to something being permissible? And then now, I mean, like you say, something being laudable, not just, not just permissible, but praiseworthy, something we ought to do, something that ought to be the normal uh, pastoral practice in, in a given uh, diocese or parish or, or whatever. In fact, when you think of that, this rolls around just about every year at the the week of Christian unity or the ecumenical uh, uh, event time. I, I don't know, but um, you hear this on a regular basis now. So somebody, has somebody just dies. Now they're up there with God. Getting, you know, Thank you for their time down here. They did great work. I'm not naming any names, but I've already seen canonization tweets about oh, sure. just recent. And he, Franklin, uh, Billy Graham, St. Graham, they were, they yes. were all about him being a canonized saint, basically. Yes. Well, even even uh, the the recent remarks about these the cops that were killed. Well, I'm getting crucified uh, for that one. Yes. Well, and it's it's uh you you can't avoid that I suppose, and it's it's not a matter to the difficulty is just being able to step away from uh, having one's face on the position. I mean, we're that's kind of beyond. We're, we're, we're really not able to do that anymore. People can kind of only think emotionally, it seems, in the public sector. 
but, but that's part of our focus with the catechisms is just to say we, we have you could say that you know apart from being uh, baptized and confirms Catholics and, and loving our Lord and, and loving the church that he founded um, that we we could we could step back and say we don't have a dog in this fight as it were we can just say look argue argue with all of these dead popes and bishops and and councils and uh, and erudite priests who who all who all taught the same things uh, for for all of this time, and then just just please explain how uh, that no longer has any bearing. You know? <laughs> so, but the first the first point is getting one's bearings, and that's what we keep hearing about with this the Catechism project is that, especially after the update to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the uh, first issued in the, the Catechism formerly known as the 1992 Catechism. Um, the when that got the, the artist formerly known as the catechism <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hard to find a good name for that one you know so uh so it is it's 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 changed several times since it was first issued uh but of course most recently uh, under uh, francis's revision to the section on the death penalty and you had a lot of people uh really confused of course great you know pope uh, theologians the uh, bishops and and others flying the flag on this of okay does not compute um but then it, it comes as news to, to a lot of folks to say and you know that that's it's not like that's the only issue uh in, in that particular text i mean that that one we just talked about the shared worship is one of them or uh, the means of salvation or the unity of the church i mean these kind of things where i can pull any catechism uh, prior to you know, 1965 and and read just consistent answers on that exact point in a little tiny sound biteable bit because that's how catechisms typically were, were formally written uh and then just again have a kind of head scratcher moment when i read just about any text issued after the fact so that's our real work here is to say look don't don't talk to us pretend pretend we're all ignorant just explain to this let's say 20 volume collection of catechisms over the last millennium you argue with these dead people what what is how does this make any sense to you yeah. uh, and that's where the the development wand has to come out you know to make any explanation and that's where you can say okay so so does truth actually change because because you have to drill down to the proposition itself was this true then if this was true then does that mean it's not true now? <laughs> yeah, because what you got going and pretty much what your app looks like, it's going to have like a, not a comparison, but it's going to say boom, 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 boom. And you're not going to see any development between maybe 15 to 20 different versions of catechism, pretty much saying the exact same thing. Then you get to another one and they say, oh, well, develop. <laughs> so, so, so 400 years, there's no development. <laughs> 10 you got one well and the thing is there there are any number of priests even at the like fathers of council who would say yes and that's exactly the problem i mean who, who just out and out about we've had this uh, the term you also often hear is the ossification you know <laughs> well, there's we've had this doctrinal ossification or, or a liturgical ossification which is uh the the uh a, a general throwaway term you know, for those who who don't like uh, an unchanging deposit of faith and morals. That's really what it comes down to, is because you can have. I mean, there there is authentic development that occurs over time, mm -hmm. and the catechisms are another great witness to that. So when you look at uh, how how would this um, let's say the first commandment, as long as we're talking about that one, how how is that one applied in this particular cultural and and uh, chronological you know period? And, and that's where catechisms give an awesome window into just time and place, you know, where these, where these things and how, how they're taught, how they're explained. Uh, and yet you can see this, this unbroken thread of you know, the, the principle there is identical from, from place to place, from time to time, from level to level and talking about magisterial level involved, you know, catechisms that are at a conciliar level like Trent, which is still the most authoritative out there, um, the Roman catechism. And then all the way down to a local parish priest who, at the behest of his bishop, writes one. It's really nice for his parish and maybe a couple of neighboring parishes, and that's that's about as far as it gets. And it's uh, it, it doesn't make it on the, the bestseller list like uh, 
Canisius's or Bellerman's or, or Pius X, you know, these. And so being able to look through that kind of lens of here's the faith as clothed in, you know, the vesture of the time, the vesture of the period, and yet I can still find this, this unbroken continuity uh, across that time and space. That's, that's where we get talking about universal ordinary magisterium. It's not just in, in uh, spread around the world, but also spread through time. Um, and Grant, I'd, I'd love to have a, a long conversation with, with Brian uh, on, on universal ordinary magisterium with that because it, like, um, <clears throat> so he's, he's done that, uh, uh, is it Tank? No, Tankeray at the, is it, uh, Friesland in, in English. And a lot of people, you know, we, we read that and that's an eye opener. And, and Friesland is one of those who gives just a great expo on how the, the catechisms fall into what's, what's really generally referred to as this monuments tradition. I can set that and up for if you ever want. Oh, that'd be awesome. I'd, yeah, I'd love that. And because I think, I think that is, uh, really inspiring for again not just catholics but non-catholics to say i can see in this in this thing you know in this in this external verifiable fact you know this monument this book and uh all of these make this body of ecclesiastical monuments and that's that's a classic example uh for the for the earlier theologians on the ordinary magisterium is a catechism so ludwig ott you know any of these guys when they're talking about Ordinary magisterium, almost always the example they use is, for example, when a bishop issues you know, a catechism on his own authority. And so when I can stack up every one of those and look at them you know, across this vast swath of, of time and space, yes, that's, that's a ringing, you know, very clear insight into the, the nature of the faith itself and its, its constant enduring character. <laughs> And the, the final one of the three in volume two, just a little smidgen of the entire book. Sadler's, or is it the Sadler. Child's Catechism? And yes. number three in chapter one, isn't necessary for everyone to know the Christian doctrine. Answer, short, sweet, six words. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if he will be saved. <laughs> if, yeah, if you want to be saved, uh, yes, that might be advisable. Yes, Sadler is great, and the setting for him is really touching. Um, he was a Benedictine uh, priest, but before that, not a lot is known uh, about his life. He's, he's a relatively obscure uh, author. He goes in, uh, like a good Benedictine, he goes into the cloister and is basically you know, never hear, heard or seen again, um, except for these works that would come out of the Abbey Press of the time, and they would have the, the very uh, diminutive TV on it, uh, just his initials. And so his, the detail of much of his life in religion is unknown beyond his being an author and a great historian. Uh, he, he's one of those that takes up these the kind of general history for the, uh, for the, for the, um, the, the prop, not the province, but the, 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 the region, that region, the Benedictines in that region, seal word, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, but what, what uh, the biographers do know is that he was not a Catholic in his childhood. He, he's actually, he misses the, he misses the jump in, in England, where he's literally one of the first children in a thousand years on that continent in England to be brought up as a, as a non-Catholic, which I still, it boggles my mind to think about a country that's been Catholic for a thousand years. Can't even really conceive of that in America, <laughs> but but, uh, but he's he's one of the first to be raised, you know, as a non-Catholic in the new religion, and as a as a young man, he's he's uh, catechized by his uncle, who's actually ordained a Benedictine uh, by Pope Paul IV. He comes in and uh, kind of evangelizes, catechizes his his nephew. Uh, his nephew abjures his errors. He is received into the church and ultimately becomes a Benedictine as well. And so he writes then this catechism for children, which I just find, I, I find it very, uh, yeah, it's very touching. It's, it's so clear. It's also rather a, um, oh, rather bracing to think of this as the kind of text that was being taught to children, you know, at a time when there were children also going to their deaths in mm -hmm. confession of the faith. I mean, uh, this is this is the kind of the uh, 
just resoundingly clear and very maybe a bit of an indictment for even home-based catechesis in a lot of ways because that's the aim with this uh, just even from the very beginning so i read this little uh, bit which i, I find uh, piercing and, and very relevant so the author himself so this is uh, father sadler says dear to to all parents and fathers of families I need not mind you, Christian parents, how deeply you stand engaged to provide for your children's spiritual as well as their temporal necessities. For St. Paul's words are positive. If any provide not for his own, and especially those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Think then seriously of the sad mistake of such parents who will heap up treasures for the short and soon fading life of their children's bodies, but make no stock of provisions for their souls which are immortal and much more considerable parts. And, and I find this very apropos, and beware of trusting altogether to tutors in an affair of such high concern, but be you at least sometimes your own children's examiners, applying to yourselves the command which our creator lays on all parents. Thou shalt teach these words diligently to thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, when thou walkest in the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. So, yeah, I find it's especially that latter part really very relevant uh, to say, look, parents, we, you, you have a duty to educate your children. Uh, it's, it's, not an, it's not a necessary requirement that you do all of that. And there are some who make that case. Well, that's because homeschooling is the only that. Well, no, you, you, have a, you have a whole you have <laughs> you have basically all of church history to argue with. If you're going to take that position, that mm -hmm. parents are the only uh, legitimate educators of children is not the case, uh, and the church has never maintained that. But just like Sadler points out here, uh, there should at least be this kind of finger on the pulse you know, on the part of the parents that, that you're at least regarding this as your most serious duty, mm -hmm. so that even if you're outsourcing it, as it were, uh, or, or relying upon tutors, that you don't do it exclusively, that it's not exclusively their purview, that you're, you're still in command, as it were, of that work and most importantly, you're still responsible for the outcome, <laughs> okay. at least insofar as it concerns you know, the, the validity of their formation. Obviously, everybody's got free will. I'm not talking about that, but but in regards to the quality, in regards to the the content that's being delivered, that's still on you. And that that catechism would almost be a little challenging to adults today. Sad but true. I, I think parts of it, at least. Yes, you know, I, I did I, like that he has a opening and concluding prayer. So before you start reading, he gives a prayer. Then afterwards, a, a prayer for after you read the catechism as well. That was a pretty, that's a great idea. Yes, I mean, you've got a very clear methods example in here, too. And a lot of the catechisms are that way. That it's, it's not just the content, but you get the, the methods of imparting this doctrine. You get a, you kind of a, a glance at what English household formation looked like under you know an, an anglican ascendancy where this is this is a treasonous act that you're carrying out here um when at a time when parents just parents there was um some of the uh, the laws even at the time before the catholic emancipation uh and you could you could go google these it's it's rather eye-opening but you've got these astringent financial uh penalties attached to uh, even the discovery of a, a popish schoolmaster you know or, or a or a popish lay catechist these kind of things where look if we catch you it doesn't matter you increased whatever if you if we catch you out there teaching the catholic faith you know this is this is not going to end well for you so it's uh so that settler's need for that because you get to see here's what here's what kind of household catechesis looked like in the time they got the prayers before and after you've got a, a clear layout of how to uh, how to engage the content and then it's it's formatted as a a father questioning the child which i also think is really neat yeah, i've had a couple of friends even just tell me that they've gotten the first two volumes and just they read it to the kids yes so it's not just this one it's just for kids all of them the kids have been eating it up yes and i i just when we so with our kids we we do the the whole shelf thing anyways you know so there are some like Morrow's is is really famous uh and that we're hoping to redeploy that one in a later volume uh, bishop Morrow's, so he's kind of the 
probably the best known pictures in, in old catechisms, but because you see these reproduced all over the place. So it's heavily, heavily illustrated. Uh, but this is the 50s. You know, this is 49 was the first, but it, it kind of really gets its stride in uh, 53, I think. And um, so we, we do that anyways, you know, when we're, we're working with the kids. Uh, some of them like pictures, some of them, some of them like uh, things that they can, uh, stories. So there's a lot, of the, a lot of these older catechisms that are in the form of narrative, which is a really neat way to help kids, especially older kids, engage with the content. Um, the thing is, you know, we didn't, it's not like we just discovered educative methods in, in the last century, you know. Was, I mean, they've, they've been hard at this for, <laughs> for quite some time, you know, so seeing that in reflected in the different catechisms. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a great, great way to both equip yourself, you know, to know, to know the faith, uh, but then also to teach from the faith. I mean, we're talking about not in the role of a teacher, but in the role of, a, of an echoer, you know, which is where that, that I mean, the Greek term for, for catechism is from that catechine, which just means to echo. It's like, look, this isn't me, this isn't me uh, being a theologian, doing theologian things. This is just the faith. Or what's typically called the, the common doctrine, you know, the, the common received doctrine of the church. So there's another you got another one coming out. This is being recorded on the 18th of February. Literally a month from now, uh, the Catechism of is it Chaloner? 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 Yes, Chaloner. Yes, he's he's the he's a heavy hitter. Uh, of course, these are all, you know, the, all heavy hitters. Yeah, that's true. They're all kind of the best of the best. But that was the hardest part. That's the hardest part about our our whole project is just just picking. I mean, we had to we had to solidify some criteria for the hardbacks because the app will have just everything. We're just we're, we're going to keep loading more catechisms than we can uh, compile for the hardback series. But even then, we're talking you know, twenty volumes. It's going to be thirty plus different catechisms. So we're, we have to pick. Just the best of the best, because there are there are thousands in the, in the church's tradition. So, uh, but Challoner is is way up there. So anybody who's familiar with the Dewey Rhymes Bible, it's it's pretty pretty dead to rights. You are actually reading uh, the the Challoner version or the Challoner edition uh, of of the Dewey. He is uh, arguably the most eminent uh, just English churchman. Period. Um, if if he, he might uh, he might have to fight out the Augustine of Canterbury, you know, who first kind of brings the faith in such a great way to uh, to the island uh, in what was that six six around six hundred. Um, but Challoner is is up there. He's he's an amazing uh, both pastor. He's he's just in the trenches. You know, he's doing the the covert thing. He's he's running from the mob. I mean, he's just amazing stories around his life. And each of the volumes, we try to capture some of the stories uh, around each of these authors or um, unique things about each particular catechism. So we we try to do that in the preface. But Challenger, you could never do that. There's just there's so much. <laughs> uh, he he he. Um, just a window into it, for instance. So he writes one of the catechisms uh, in this in volume three which is the there's three uh, of his catechism he's also he's prolific he writes an incredible amount uh, but he sees the very standout value of the catechism genre in his period because he's he's writing end of end of the 1600s uh and early 1700s and really it's a uh, gosh how did he even encapsulate challenger he so just to, to pick an episode, so he writes one catechism, which is basically in response to uh, an Anglican book that is uh, condemning the popish superstition. You know, so it's this whole, so he has this, this, poor, uh, this poor Anglican fellow traveler who, uh, who writes this book on, here's, here's why, you know, the, the, uh, the mass is uh, filled with pagan superstition and, and these kind of things, and, uh, and tries to draw on uh, even even some historical sources and things like this, and so so Chandler writes this catechism. So this is a fascinating way to to respond to this. He he writes a catechism that's a walk through the truths of the faith, but through the lens of the liturgy. So predominantly the mass, but then also uh, many of the sacramentals, the divine office, etc. And uh, and that's that's all kind of by in way of rejoinder. So it's heavily annotated, <laughs> which is a uh, 
not all of the, all the catechisms are that way. In fact, m most aren't, but, uh, but Chaloner is just incredibly erudite. So he has just gobs and gobs of references and, and many of them are Protestant authors. You know? So he's totally conversant in the, uh, the, the controversial literature you know, of the time. And so he just draws on that, and, and, and it's so it's fascinating what he does with that, and uh, and to have also a catechism that walks through the liturgy uh, gives Catholics who who know and love and, and attend the uh, the traditional mass already they'll they'll find it remarkable because it's it's just a copy paste. I mean, there's whole sections of, of text. Uh, from the different rites, and they'll say, "Oh, yeah, that's what I went to on Sunday. Uh, this, this was written, you know, 300 years ago." And um, and then those who uh, are are maybe new to them or, or are considering uh, attending the traditional mass, uh, they'll they'll say, "Wow, well, this this is very clear how the doctrine comes through uh, in in the traditional rites themselves, because here you have essentially a, a book length treatment of." The truths of the faith through the lens of uh, the liturgy, which is a, a neat way to do it. He's an, he's an old school Catholic answers guy. That's right. <laughs> of all the catechisms you got coming out, which is one that you got? They're like, I can't wait for this one to come out to see how everyone reacts. This is my favorite of the favorites. Uh, do you have one, or are they all kind of like? Uh, this is like talking about your kids. These are it all is. great. It's, it's that, actually, I'm going to remember that comparison because I, I get asked this constantly, and I never know. I never know. I, I usually have to ask for some kind of clarifying criteria before I answer. But but now I'm going to use that comparison. That's like it's like choosing between my kids. Um, <laughs> it maybe not quite like that, but it's but it's 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 close. Uh, or maybe friends choosing between friends. That'd, that'd be a better one. Because I do, I, I, each of them has these unique, uh, if it's the audience, if it's how they produce, you know. Um, but I, I, a, couple of, uh, a couple of responses, maybe. I, I, I personally, I am, I am the most fond, just me myself, the most fond of some of the slightly more obscure multi-volume catechisms. There are, there are several that are... Uh, Yes, there are several volumes, and they're they're a little more. Uh, actually, Sparago, you were mentioning earlier, is is a good um, example. These these texts that they would try to do, they basically have a conversation at multiple different levels. So they'd be teaching the faith, and they would say, you know, here's here's kind of the first level of response. Here's here's the tiniest distillation, you know, a little snapshot. Here's here's a slightly longer, um, you know, fill out that answer a little bit more. And then here's here's a, a much deeper treatment, you know, a little more uh, in depth. It gives a little more of the uh, scholarly apparatus, you know, for those who want to go reading elsewhere and, and follow the follow the footnotes and so on. So just just personally, I like those. I, I like uh, Hayes, uh, George Hayes, the, the eminent Scots bishop, who is just uh, you can't hardly read it without imagining you know this heavy scots <laughs> accent like like braveheart teaching catechism you know it's, it's just good stuff and um and he is is one you want to talk about not not pulling any punches he's he is a uh, uh, that's that's a, that's a quite a read we're i'm not sure that we'll be able to fit all this is part of what we're dealing with right now is whether we can fit there are several multi-volume ones all of them or take uh, the, a lot of them will break it up, and you know, can we just take the one that has the one level of, of treatment rather than all of them? Um, but one that another one that is is fantastic that we will recover all of it is uh, uh, Abby Gown. Abby Gown's great Catechism of Perseverance, which is uh, oh man, it's just fantastic. I mean, it's it's very French, so it it is a uh, it, it waxes poetical frequently and um, is beautiful. It's beautiful reading in a lot of places, which is, is not always expected uh, or, or, or necessary to the, the catechism genre, but, uh, but it, is, it is great reading. And um, so th those would be some of the larger ones that I really like. I, I think you said something about somebody that, you know, what, what can't they do without? Um, Yes, I, that that's probably the hardest one for me. What can't they do with it? Obviously, Trent is you know the, so the Roman Catechism. We'll we'll have Trent in the series, uh, and and that one is is a great. That's a standout. 
but it was also it was penned for priests, um, and it's it assumes a lot of uh, pretty pretty respectable philosophical grounding that isn't necessarily there all the time. I mean, you get some of these um, points on metaphysics and things that come in there, and and you know, a, a priest of the Tridentine period would would know what was going on, but you have to do a little more work uh, as a layman. I, I I still I think the Pius X the Catechism Pius X I still love I think just pound for pound that one and the Douay in fact we were just talking about Douay um, in terms of something that is is still very accessible uh, but it's also very concise and uh, and very practical um, and it's also something that you could hand off that, that's one aspect of the whole genre of catechisms that I, I feel is important is the when it was first conceived of you know, as well we will make these kind of little little uh, texts the uh, it was kind of a slang term for them was dumb preachers uh, at, at the period or, or mute dumb in the term in, in the sense of mute not in the sense of <laughs> unintelligent um, but they, that was kind of a, a slang term for them at the time was a, a dumb preacher and the idea was you would have this text where even if my bishop went into formal schism and was no longer going to teach the faith in my diocese, even if, because this is, again, this is their setting, even if uh, the majority of the priests uh, would, would ab abandon their posts, go into schism, uh, offer this, this novel rite of worship required as kind of a badge of, of your Anglicanism, uh, <clears throat> And even if, even if we could assume that there wouldn't be someone around to form us in the faith, uh, in, in the didactic sense, have, have a priest, have a preacher uh, who is a Catholic, you, you could still have the, the dumb preacher. You could still have this little text. And what was, what was essential for those is that they would be sized such that they could be deposited in a pocket. I mean, it wouldn't have to be a tract, you know, tiny little paperback, although you, you get those. Um, but at, at least such that the trim size could be something you could you could discreetly hand off in the public square as you walked by someone else. I mean, this is, and this is what happened. Uh, and in fact, how a, a major instrument for the preservation of the faith uh, in England, since we just keep talking about England. But, um, but that was a, a huge aspect of the preservation of the faith in England was was by way of catechisms, specifically those that could be discreetly delivered, you know, hand to hand, um, person to person. So, so for that reason, I think the Douay is still is excellent. Um, the Pius the Tenth is is very similar uh, in. He copy and paste a hack. He copy and paste it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm sure he wouldn't mind your, your Excellency, your Your Holiness, Your Saintliness. But uh, yes, but in the meantime. Uh, there's there's texts that uh, since that time that are are deserving of the sticker. Can you move, move it this way a little bit? This way? No, oh, see how it's in there. Ah, may contain heresy. <laughs> this, this is uh, I've been thinking we need to we need to, I need to find somebody who has a Catholic bookstore willing to print those by the sheet. Because, uh, that seems to be very this useful. This print will do that. <laughs> well, that's what you get. That's true. You probably do. get a discount and just get bulk in that way and just go poop. <laughs> That's what we need to do. May contain heresy, research purposes only. Yes. That's a, a, I remember one priest called sticker. it uh, the section in the seminary hell. If he was going to go to hell, he needed to get permission to go to hell because that was where all the heretical, heretical books were. Well, I mean, there's 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 a reason that, uh, you know, we had a functional index of forbidden books for most of Catholic history, yeah, yeah. Uh, formal or otherwise. So how you get? How do people get this? I've seen there's a subscription. Is it kind of like a subscription based? Yeah, I mean the two aspects of the whole project are the the digital side and the physical side. The Sophia Institute Press is doing the the physical books, uh, and doing a great job. They they look awesome, and um, that's all through. And they can find the books on our site, the Tradabox.com. That's we're the the nonprofit Bishop Schneider running the. Uh, kind of the content, the research side for the last several years, and then now remastering it both for this uh, hardback series and then the a digital application, which will be uh, on the site later. It's functional now. We're we're uh, 
we're hoping to see the next year, two years, have kind of the full, the full scope out there uh, for the app. And the, um, but yeah, the, the hardback series is the 20 volumes and that's Sophia Institute Press, which I'm excited about the, just Sophia. They, I think they're, they're doing some good things here lately. I've, I've been excited about so. Um, but this book series in particular, they've, they've done a good job. Very good, very good. And you said a couple years before the app comes out? Yeah, hopefully, hopefully two at the most. We're, we're kind of 2022 uh, is, is the target. And we may be able to fast track it, uh, but we'll see, see how it goes. <laughs> Solid. Well, I'll have the link underneath in the show notes. Go visit their websites. Uh, I mean, I'm going to, I know for myself, I'm going to make sure I get all 20 volumes one way or the other. Because uh, uh, like I like I said, how they're doing it there with the, the 20 volumes, because doing it like a subscription actually makes it manageable. For me. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. You can read I, it. I can't go, I can't go do a, a 20 volume anything. Uh, collection but but if i'm spreading that out you know once a quarter like like they're doing with the book series that makes a little more sense yes yeah yeah you can't you're not going to read 20 volumes in one weekend no uh, and i'm not uh, going to put another uh, mortgage on the house or anything either so. <laughs> well Aaron, appreciate it, man and yeah look forward to doing next time and uh yeah we'll get you hooked up with ryan to do something on that one too that'd be great we could have fun we'd, we'd have to bring a we could do a compare and contrast, you know, bring some, bring, bring your favorite old and new catechisms, maybe. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, have a happy Lent and I'll talk to you later, bud. Great. God bless Steve. Thanks again. No problem.